Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, and it is August the 17th, 2018. And as always, it's a privilege and pleasure to join you at the end of the week so we can play the inevitable game of catch-up. And boy, oh boy, what a week it has been. I hope it's been a good one for all of you. Uh, But in any event, uh, our country and some of our supposed leaders are certainly coming unhinged particularly on the Democratic side of the aisle, but we'll get to that. But first of all, if you're familiar with my program, if you're familiar with me, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency uh, that illogically and inappropriately was sliced and diced uh, and folded in with other agencies after the attacks of 9-11 by the administration of George W. Bush to create what I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. Uh, But in any event, ICE, much maligned by the open borders folks, the globalists, the anarchists, I don't know what you want to call them, uh, has taken the place of the old INS, the agency uh, that I worked for for some 30 years. And as we are approaching the 17th, hard to believe, 17th anniversary of those devastating, horrific, barbaric, attacks of 9-11, here we are with our leaders basically um, recommending that we dismantle the agency that the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, said failed abysmally, the old INS, same difference, same mission, enforce immigration laws. Um, And rather than try to protect us, It's apparent that for political goals, economic goals, God knows what goals, you have members of the Democratic leadership, so-called. Not not the fringe. The fringe has become the mainstream. Um, And full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat. I've been ever since I first cast the ballot too many decades ago. But the problem is that those leaders, so-called, are not leaders. I don't know what they are, but the word leader does not somehow come easily to mind. Uh, And the Republicans, folks, are only marginally better, marginally better. We have now found ourselves in a crazy situation where we have a president who's being attacked by both political parties, including supposedly his own party, for daring to try to restore integrity to the immigration system and create sovereign borders to protect America and Americans. That is how far off course this country has come uh, with the bribes, and that's exactly what campaign contributions are. You know, it's so hard to hear when there's that much money shoved into your ears. Um, and, and so here we have my program trying to provide the truth about immigration, not because I had a brain spasm or some wild idea, but it's the job that I did for 30 years as an inspector for four years, as an adjudications officer for a year, and then as a special agent rotating through all the squads within the investigations branch. I've arrested and investigated terrorists from various countries around the world, from Colombia, from Israel, from Ireland. 
So when I speak about the nexus between immigration and terrorism and crime and so forth, it's based on real-world decades of experience. And that's why, uh, I guess, in the old days, before Congress went completely off the rails, uh, I've been before 17 congressional hearings in the House and Senate. And as I said just a moment ago, I also was asked to provide testimony to the 9-11 Commission. And I've traveled around the country providing testimony to legislative hearings around the United States on this issue of immigration. You would think common sense would be prevalent, but common sense, uh, as somebody once wisely said, is not all that common. So uh, here we are. Here's the program. My favorite website is michaelcutler.net, obviously. Uh, I write for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, and The Social Contract, occasionally for Newsmax. Um, I've been on as many radio shows as you could imagine. Uh, recently, I've been on with the Laura Ingram on her terrific program over at Fox News several times in the last month. I uh, hope they are willing to have me back again. Uh, but really and truly, the way that the media refuses to tell the truth about immigration is startling and infuriating, and the media wants to make Trump out to be the bad guy. The news is fake. When you can't use the word alien to describe aliens, you've got a serious problem. And the word alien, folks, is not a pejorative. It's not insulting language. It's not, as these idiots would have you believe, the equivalent of the N-word. The term alien simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. How in the world word or that definition is offensive is beyond me. What's offensive is not paying due respect to true immigrants. This is really what's offensive to me. When you declare anybody who enters the country by any means whatever, stowing away on ships, running borders, under-assumed identities, and elevate their status in the minds of the public by calling them immigrants, what a disturbing and profound insult that is to true immigrants. People who've waited years very often and spent lots of money on lawyers, to legally immigrate to the United States. And that process, by the way, has, as we will see this evening, many flaws in it. There is an abject lack of integrity to the immigration system. And you know what? That lack of integrity of where the immigration system is concerned parallels the lack of integrity of our alleged leaders who are willing to witness more terror attacks, more gang violence, more massive influx of narcotics and fugitives, and witness more Americans losing their jobs or at the least having their wages uh, decreased by applying pressure through the importation of millions of foreign workers, both legal and illegal. That's what's offensive. That's what should have everybody riled up. And yes, President Trump sometimes uses language that's not, uh, shall I say, appropriate. He is more of a blunt instrument. He comes at issues like a sledgehammer, not as a scalpel. And I would take issue with it. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. Uh, I sometimes jokingly refer to my course of study uh, as uh, being a BA in BS. But words do matter, whether we're using the term immigrant versus alien, whether we talk about uh, the unaccompanied minors and and somehow uh, we, we go from that to DACA, 
and then the, the misleading notion is, is spread everywhere that DACA is about children when the age cutoff today would be 37. It's propaganda. And this is not about political correctness, folks. This is about Orwellian newspeak. Control language, you can control thought. That was the premise behind the Ministry of Truth in 1984. It's a quick and easy read. If you haven't read George Orwell's 1984, I'm giving you a homework assignment. It's not long, and it's not convoluted, and it's not difficult. It was an interesting novel that George Orwell wrote back in 1948. He flipped the numbers to make 1984. And it will give you insight into what the media has become, an outlet for propaganda all too frequently. And when you have people saying, well, we can't use the word alien because it's hate speech, by whose standard? By whose standard is it hate speech to say that somebody from another country who comes to America is not a citizen, is an alien? That's all we're saying. You come visit me at my home, and if people say, who's this? I could say, well, that's my neighbor, Charlie, or that's my friend, Barbara, but they're not members of my family. They could be, they could be my friends or neighbors. They could be my colleagues from work, but they're not family. They're not relatives. Immigrants are the equivalent of saying, these folks are my relatives, they're part of my family. And these other folks are really wonderful people, but we don't have a familial relationship. So if you have a friend that you're not related to, is that something terrible to say to somebody? It's this guy Pete over here, I'm having coffee with him, but Pete is, is, is not my relative, he's not my brother, he's not my cousin, but he is a good friend. That's all we're talking about. But what the media has done, starting with Jimmy Carter and his desire to modify the public perception about immigration, it was a brilliant stroke on his part, and the idiots on our side of the argument have never engaged in the proper battle that we need to engage in, to be blunt about it, folks. It is not pro-immigrant to want to take down the borders of the United States of America. That's called anarchy. That's called leaving America vulnerable. We lock our doors at night to make certain that criminals and home invaders and burglars don't gain access. Not because we're antisocial, but because we are prudent. And all that I'm suggesting and all that the law requires is that we secure the borders, not against all aliens, but against those who would come here and do harm. And if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it lists the categories of aliens who are to be excluded. And if you listen to the mainstream media, you would probably come to the very wrong, very mistaken, uh, my gosh, twisted notion that this has something to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. The categories of aliens who are to be prevented from entering the United States start out with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or who suffer significant mental illness. Why? Because Ellis Island folks that we hear so much about by the immigration anarchists, oh gosh, if only they would open up Ellis Island again, folks, if they reopened Ellis Island, those same yo-yos would be running to sue the, the government of the United States. Ellis Island was a quarantine station run by U.S. public health and by immigration. I wrote an article about it, and in my article about the lies told about immigration is a link to a, a one-hour documentary that everybody should have to watch. And it's immigration through the eyes of the immigrants or their immediate uh, kids or immediate relatives. 
walking through that grand staircase. Why was there this huge staircase going into the main hall? Because the doctors and all the public health people could see if people were getting winded walking up the staircase. If they did, they were probably going to be put back on the boat because they were physically not fit to work. Everything that was done at Ellis Island had two concerns. Remember, when Ellis Island was first established, and by the way, it at the time had the biggest hospital complex in the entire United States, 22 buildings, hospitals, nurses, all kinds of uh, medical issues were dealt with, except medicine was primitive back then. People died from, from minuscule infections, things that wouldn't be a hiccup today killed back then. There were no antibiotics. Medicine was almost witchcraft. You know, it's amazing the progress we've made in a century or a little bit more than a century since Ellis Island opened. So the two big concerns were this. Number one, they wanted to make certain that aliens entering the United States did not have dangerous communicable diseases. That language is still in the law. That's the heritage of, of Ellis Island. But they also wanted to make certain that people coming to America not only presented the threat of an epidemic, but would be physically incapable of holding down a job and being self-sufficient and supporting themselves. And it's so funny because my mother, may she rest in peace, always used that term, self-sufficient. I can't tell you from the, age I was, from the age when I was nine years old, from that point forward, how many times my mother kept pounding away that you need to be self-sufficient. If I complained that a button came off my coat, she would hand me needle and thread. And I'd say, Mom, I'm a boy. Boys don't do that. I was 9, 10 years old. She'd say, yeah, well, when you become an adult and you go on a business trip and a, shirt and a button comes off your suit, you're going to want to fix it. You need to be self-sufficient. When I was 9 years old, she went to the hospital. She taught me how to make scrambled eggs, 9 years old. Why? You need to be self-sufficient. She came here, by the way, at the age of 13, lived by herself in a rooming house and worked in an umbrella factory for all of $3 an hour. Of course, back then, $3 an hour is a lot more than $3 an hour today, but even back then, $3 an hour was pitiful. But that's how she subsisted until she made her way in this country, learning the language, working hard, and she was here legally. But for my mother and for my dad, my dad was a construction worker. He's first-generation American. In fact, some of his siblings came from Russia, through Ellis Island again. And for my dad, it was the same deal. Fix it yourself. Do it yourself. Be self-sufficient. Don't depend on anybody else. That's what Ellis Island was looking for, immigrants who could be self-sufficient, self-supporting. They were concerned about mental illness, again, two reasons. You didn't want some crazy guy running around chopping off heads or raping children, and you also know that somebody who's seriously mentally ill can't work in a job. So the two factors keep coming up again and again and again when you look at Ellis Island. Let's make certain that we don't allow disease in. Let's make certain that the people are self-sufficient. They didn't have computerized databases where it was easy to know if people were criminals the way we can today. But if they knew that somebody was a criminal, out they went. They very often split up families. If the mother of a family had a dangerous disease, everybody else was healthy, the family had to make a tough decision. Does the husband separate himself and his children from his wife and stay in America while she goes home, or do all of them get on the boat and go home? Maybe the kids will stay with an uncle. Maybe the guy's brother is here, and he says to the kids, look, 
it's much better in America. Stay with my brother because he and his family will take care of you. Families were split up every day of the week on Ellis Island. But today, if we, we tell people that we're doing this on the border, we have riots and demonstrations by the lunatic fringe. Countries have a right to sovereignty. It's not only a right, it's an imperative. You cannot protect a nation or its people if you can't keep out the enemies who want to kill you. It's just that simple. Immigration is not a minor issue. It is the issue because it impacts every other challenge and threat that confronts America and Americans today. And if I had to compare immigration to any other government agency, I would compare it to the FBI and the Marshal Service looking for the criminals and so forth. But here's something that nobody thinks about. We keep hearing about, let's put the military on the border. Well, in a very real sense, the military is on the border, but at a distance. The mission of all five branches of the United States Armed Forces, and I don't care if we're talking about the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, the Army, or the Coast Guard, all five branches, soon to be a sixth branch, the Space Force, if you look at all of those branches, they have a common mission, to keep the enemies of the United States as far from our shores as possible. That's their mission to make sure airplanes from foreign countries don't penetrate our airspace or even guided missiles, to make certain that armies don't come across the border or that naval vessels don't land on our beaches, you know. But up close and in person, that task of keeping out enemy combatants falls to the Department of Homeland Security, falls to the Coast Guard in terms of the oceans, and then the Border Patrol has naval resources also. They have small boats and so forth. And then ultimately the land of the United States, the, the entire circumference of the country, um, is the Border Patrol's domain, but they have precious few agents. And then backing them up are the inspectors at ports of entry who use the law, 1182, to make decisions as to whether or not aliens should be admitted into the United States. I'm very familiar with the job. I did it for the first four years of my career. And again, the law drove our decisions. It wasn't about race, religion, or ethnicity. Is the alien dangerous? Does the alien have a disease? Does the alien have a criminal history? Is he involved with terrorism? Does he have, want, does he have warrants lodged by countries overseas because he's a fugitive? And then finally, the concern is aliens who would become a public charge and have a huge impact on our nation's economy. Or are they seeking to work illegally, which would then displace American workers and drive down wages of those who aren't displaced? This is as fair, reasonable, and rational as possible. And then, of, come, of course, comes along crazy man, Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo, who refers to ICE raids as reckless and illegal. How dare they arrest people who run the border? You know, if somebody robs the bank, it's a continuing offense. The guy that runs out of the bank gets chased by the police. And if he crosses, into the, if he crosses the state lines, the FBI will grab him. Local cops will grab him and, and send him back through extradition to the home state where he committed the crime. An alien who runs the border is not somehow less illegally present when he or she gets further from the border. And that's why if you prosecute somebody for unlawful entry or unlawful reentry, which is a felony with a maximum of 20 years in jail, don't tell me this isn't the crime. In fact, I worked with Senator D'Amato to fashion that law that says that if you were previously deported and you have a serious criminal history, you're, you are what is deemed an aggravated felon, the maximum punishment for reentry is 20 years in jail. But the venue where the trial is held 
isn't back where the guy ran the border. It's where found because it's a continuing offense. So when you have the governor of the state of New York, the state that has been hammered most frequently by terrorists, the state that gets the lion's share of counterterrorism money, when you have a mayor, um, de Blasio, the city gets lion's share of the money for counterterrorism, and rightfully so. We had the bombing at the Trade Center in 93. There was the plot to blow up the subways. We had 9-11. There's been a series of terror attacks, the, uh, the bombing at Times Square that thankfully fizzled instead of went going kaboom, it went fizzled by Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber back in 2010. Repeatedly, New York City is, the, is in the crosshairs of these terrorists. And yet, what does the city of New York do? Provide identity documents to illegal aliens who snuck into the country. We can't verify when they came here, who they are, or what they're affiliated with, or who they're affiliated with. But don't worry, United, the, the, the city of New York will take care of these poor aliens, quote-unquote, protect them from evil immigration authorities, and give them fake ID, but with the seal of approval by the city of New York. Meanwhile, there was an article in the New York Times uh, a few years back about how Roosevelt Avenue, which is really drug central for New York City, um, is where lots of fake documents are being sold to the drug dealers because they're here illegally. They're trying to conceal their identities and their movements. The 9-11 hijackers in the aggregate, 19 terrorists used over 360 false names and identities. So what does New York City do? The city that's under the gun, literally, figuratively, in New York City, we will shield you from detection and we'll give you fake ID, basically. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Uh, I don't know who passed away today. I, I just caught the headline. But earlier today, yet another, in fact, as I'm thinking about it, there was a female police officer from out of New York City, not a New York City cop, but a police officer from out of city, maybe out of state, um, succumbed to illness that she contracted because of her exposure to the toxins when she worked on what came to be known as the pile. That debris of field, uh, that, that debris field, rather, after the towers collapsed, looking first for survivors and then looking for human remains. And in fact, just a couple of days ago, there was a very sobering article that was published in several news media that said that as of right now, we know of at least, catch this number, folks, 10,000 victims of cancer or other diseases that have been attributed to their exposure to the toxins released at ground zero when the World Trade Center collapse was reduced to rubble. 10,000. The 3,000 who died on 9-11, that number eclipses the number of people killed at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941 by the entire Japanese fleet. Think about that. But now add to that 3,000 number how many more since then who have died. And right now there are 10,000 victims suffering from illness, terrible illness, lesions in the lungs and, and, and cancer and all sorts of illness directly attributed by the doctors to the toxins that they ingested when the towers collapsed. Other people are suffering heart disease, post-traumatic stress disorder, and the list goes on. But don't you dare secure the borders because we need the cheap labor. Don't you dare secure the borders because we need to educate our adversaries. 
We need to, as we did last year, bring in 152,000 Chinese students so they can build up the Chinese military, so they can learn how to be better programmers, to better hack our computers. And we certainly need to import clients for the immigration lawyers who infest both sides of the aisle in Congress and the political parties, both parties all over the country. Immigration lawyers. You know, we don't hear so much about ambulance chasers anymore, folks. They've been replaced by coyote chasers. Um, coyote is the slang term for alien smugglers. If you follow the smugglers, you'll find the aliens. If you can find the aliens, there's your clients. Don't chase the ambulances. Chase the coyotes. And you have politicians on both sides of the aisle in Congress who are immigration lawyers, some of whom are going to be leaving Congress at the end of the session. And I'm going to imagine they're going to revert back to that noble profession of being immigration attorneys. And so they're pushing for DACA because DACA would push unknown millions of illegal aliens into the waiting offices of these immigration lawyers who have a shortage of work, apparently. The hell with what this would do to national security. The hell with what this would do to our overflowing school system where it costs, according to the Congressional Budget Office, 20 to 40% more to educate children who can't speak, read, or write English, which means that money and resources that might have been used to increase education, to improve education, perhaps provide early intervention for children with ADHD and autism. Money's being pulled from those programs because the bigger issue is English as a second language. And so then we're, felt, we're, we're, we're fed this BS well, we need to import foreign workers because our kids are doing lousy in school. Our kids aren't doing that badly in school, folks. Believe me, they're not. The reason that reading scores and math scores have fallen through the floorboards has nothing to do with American students. They're doing fine. These are the kids who live in households where the English language is not being spoken. How in the world are you going to take an English proficiency exam and do well if you're not even able to read, write, or speak English. And math is going to be equally challenging, and let's not even think about science. So why are the test scores failing? Because we have imported millions of students who are not English proficient. So the numbers drop, and the liars in Congress, and the liars at the Chamber of Commerce, and all these other anarchists and globalists turn around and say, look at that. We've got to bring in the world's best and brightest because American kids are idiots. No, the only idiots are out there, folks, are the people who vote for the current crop of garbage that call themselves politicians. Both parties. Both parties. Make no mistake. But the Democrats, their train has definitely come off the track. But they're only marginally worse than the Republicans. We now have the best government money can buy. And when you talk about constructing the wall, and you know the president made that a campaign promise, and the first thing you hear are the insults being hurled at the president. Ha, ha, he said the Mexicans are going to pay for the wall. He's crazy. You know, he's right. I don't care what, uh, what uh, Felipe Calderon, the former president of Mexico, the Pepsi-Cola salesman, is the guy that rose beyond his level of competence. Talk about the Peter Principle. He used to sell Coca, Pepsi-Cola, and then he became the president of Mexico. Goodness. We're not paying for that effing wall. Really? Well, I wrote an article for FrontPageMag.com. Please go to FrontPageMag. I think you're going to like it. 
the title of my article is Border, America Needs a Border Wall Like Houses Need Insulation. Now, now follow along with me here and understand what we're talking about. When you build a house, you put in insulation. You put in storm doors and storm windows, and we put in weather stripping around the openings and lots and lots of insulation. You know, those thick, um, I don't even know how to describe it, blocks of, of fiberglass or whatever insulation they're doing, or they blow insulation through the openings and the cinder blocks to create what are known as dead air spaces. If the air doesn't move around, it blocks hot and cold from one another. You know, kind of like a heat shield on a spacecraft. You have this area where no matter how hot it is on one side, it stays cool on the other side and vice versa. That's what insulation does. And is it expensive? Of course it's expensive. It's certainly a lot cheaper than not doing anything. But here's the trick. If you look at the ads for insulation, and, and there's one company that uses the Pink Panther as, as their mascot, they always make the point that insulation ultimately pays for itself over the life of the building. If you can keep the warm air in the house during frigid winter days and nights, then you burn less oil or less gas or use less electricity to heat the house. By saving the amount of energy you consume to heat the building, by keeping the warmth in, you're saving money. Over time, the amount of money you save more than costs whatever it costs to put the insulation into the house. This is a very simple principle. Insulation ultimately saves more money than it costs to, to, to install in the house. Think about the border wall. Think about a, an effective visa process. Think about all the measures that America can do for border security as insulation. And what does it insulate America against? Well, it insulates America against the transnational uh, gangsters and cartels, drug trafficking organizations, international terrorists, and fugitives from other countries. So it keeps out the bad guys. It keeps out aliens who would illegally work in the country, thereby displacing American workers, driving down wages, putting more Americans on welfare, and taking from those Americans who are living at the marginal edge of solvency, any shred of the American dream. That's why when you see all the homeless people in America, a substantial percentage, and I don't know what the percentage is, and I don't know that anyone's ever going to be able to accurately calculate it, but I can show you that a substantial percentage of the people who are homeless had had jobs and lost them, and not just the bottom rung, by the way, the, the, the crooked visa process for the H-1Bs and so forth, displaced Americans, they couldn't find work, and ultimately, they became homeless. So we're insulating Americans from economic harm, from physical harm. We're insulating Americans from terrorists who want to kill us. It's insulation. Now, who's going to pay for insulating America? Well, when drugs are sold in the United States, the point to the sale of drugs is not to make Americans high. I mean, maybe the politicians like that Americans are high, so we have no idea who in the world we're voting for or what damage they're doing to us, both parties. But um, the whole point for the drug traffickers isn't that they're coming to the United States to throw a party. They sell drugs in the country to make money, just as prostitutes engage in sex, not because they're at a party, but it's a business transaction. It's a way of making money, illegal money, but it's a way of making money. So, 
the drug dealers bring in the drugs because the border is not insulated. And when the drugs are sold, what's the what's it remains after drugs are sold? Besides overdose people in the hospital, perhaps. Well, what results, the residue, is the money that's wired out of the United States or otherwise moved out of the United States. There was an article in a, in a Mexican journal this past um, year that said that this past May, Mexico received a record amount of money wired home, and it was over $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion money sent out of the country. This is visible money. What do I mean by visible? People go to Western Union, or they go to the bank, or they go to the post office, or they go to some money wire service, and they, they transmit the money electronically. It's a computerized transaction. So we have a record of it. Money doesn't only leave the United States by remittances. Money also leaves the United States when a drug dealer fills up a sofa with, with money. They stuff the sofa with $100 bills, or they stuff the washing machine with money, or they change the money for gold because gold is a lot more portable, or platinum is a lot more portable, or silver is a lot more portable than a million dollars. Money is bulky. That's the reason that the... That the um, the U.S. government no longer prints thousand or ten thousand dollar bills. It was being used by the drug dealers when you want to move lots of money covertly in an opaque, um, covert fashion. So they said, no, no, no. The biggest bill we're going to print from now on are hundred dollar bills. So the drug dealers need to move the money. They don't want the American government to know about it or their government. So they convert it to a precious metal. They buy diamonds. They buy gold. That's a lot smaller but it's worth the same amount of money. And then when they get it to the destination, they cash it in, and it's another way of transmitting money. And we're not even aware what that number looks like. So the visible money in May, just to Mexico, not El Salvador, not Honduras, not China, not Korea, not just to Mexico, visible money, over $3 billion. Let's say half of that money was ill-gotten. Let's say two-thirds. Let's say it's $2, million, $2 billion. Again, let's ignore all the other ways money moves. Just the $2 billion. Let's say you could cut that in half by building a wall. There's a billion dollars. If this is roughly the amount of money that moves every month, after one year you've got $12 billion that does not go to Mexico. They lost $12 billion and we got to keep the $12 billion. Boy, that's a good down payment on the wall, isn't it? So without lifting a finger, without sending America a check, does it matter that Mexico says we're not paying for the wall? They would be because the remittances, the residue of the drug sale would not be leaving the United States. So, of course, the wall pays for itself. But really, it's Mexico paying the price and the other countries that depend on the remittances and the other ways that money is sent from the United States to the countries of the aliens who work illegally or sell narcotics or other um, contraband in the United States, counterfeit parts. It was just this huge takedown where ICE agents went after people from China that were moving, I, I believe it was in the billions, billions of dollars of counterfeit merchandise. Now, sometimes it's just a, a jersey, a sweatshirt, a pair of blue jeans, or a cap. Sometimes the counterfeit items cost lives. We're talking about counterfeit drugs, pharmaceuticals, 
counterfeit parts for airplanes and cars. And when those parts fail, the airplane falls out of the sky or the car crashes. This is endangering lives. It's hurting our economy. And how do you stop it? Border security. Border security is for America what insulation is for houses and office buildings. It's about keeping the cost down and look at the gains that we have. We not only save money, we can save lives. And yet, look at the arguments from both sides of the aisle. How are we going to pay for the wall? Folks, how do you not buy insulation for your house? Why wouldn't you want to insulate your country? That's the analogy of the day. Think of border security as America's insulation, insulating us against terrorists, insulating us against narcotics, insulating us against international fugitives, insulating us against transnational gangs like MS-13 or this other Dominican gang that was responsible for the slaughter of that young man, Junior, up in the Bronx. And it would insulate America against the flood of American money flowing out of the United States. Um, and by the way, if the money leaves the United States, it, it takes with it more than the money itself. There's something called the multiplier effect. If money stays within the country, that money generates more money. If you earn a paycheck, you go to the store, you buy a pair of shoes, the shoe salesman gets his check at the end of the week, then he goes to the movies. The guy that owns the movie theater takes his proceeds and goes on vacation so the airline makes money and the hotel where he stays makes money and the money keeps going around and around. This is called the multiplier effect. When money is moved out of the United States, the multiplier effect is gone. And economists generally say that now $1 generates $3 in commerce. So $3 billion in May with the multiplier effect actually represents $9 billion. We could pay for that wall in a year, maybe two years. And then think of the lives we could save. Think of the level of violence that would decrease as the availability of drugs, which funds the gangs, decreases. And the drugs also fund terrorist organizations. Hamas, Hezbollah, I've written about that. We worry about sleeper cells. You worry that it, Iran has infiltrated Latin America, all over Latin America. And the drug money is fueling their terrorist operations. It's estimated that they have 200,000 members of Hezbollah, Hamas, and Quds forces bankrolling our enemy. We're bankrolling our enemy. And yet, both sides of the aisle are screaming like scalded cats every time the president says, let's build a wall. Now, again, the wall by itself doesn't solve the problem. I compare the a wall on the Mexican border to a wing on an airplane. Without its wings, an airplane certainly doesn't fly, but a wing by itself goes nowhere. And this is America, folks. This is the country that more than 40 years ago with primitive technology repeatedly sent astronauts to the moon and every single one returned safely. We could do that 45 years ago, but we can't figure out how to secure our borders. This is failure by design. And where does this lead us? Well, it leads us to the discovery of two terrorists in the United States, in California and Arizona, who had entered the United States as refugees, but they were involved with ISIS. Um, I'm writing about these cases, by the way. And yesterday I was interviewed by one of the reporters over at LifeSet, 
and, and I've known this reporter, Brandon Kirby, for some time. He's interviewed me in the past. LifeZet, of course, um, is Laura Ingram's website, so I'm always happy to contribute to Laura's website. And this was the story about that terrible camp in New Mexico, if you want to call it a camp. I call it a hellhole, where I believe the child was three years old, um, was found dead, mutilated. They did an exorcism on him. And the mother, this, this Haitian woman who's been in the United States illegally for 20 years, was hooked up with these people who were involved with terrorism, with ISIS. And so the question was, how did she stay in the United States for 20 years? That was the question that Brendan asked me when he called me yesterday. How do we not know about it? So here's the story. In this game of hide and seek, we have millions upon millions of illegal aliens, and we don't even know how many. This woman, by the way, was lawfully admitted, which is why it's more than just the Mexican border. And she never left. She never left. Because we don't have the agents necessary to track her down, and we don't even have a program in place to know when people overstay. When the immigration laws were, were rewritten in 1996, and I made a small contribution to that effort, I uh, was working with Lamar Smith's chief counsel in those days um, to figure out how to make the laws more enforceable, more effective for America. One of the requirements of the immigration reform legislation back then mandated that we develop a data, a, a, an alien tracking network using biometrics. Again, very gratifying because I raised the issue of biometrics when I did my first hearing in May 20th, 1997, when we looked at immigration fraud and visa fraud. And I was asked during the hearing, well, you were an inspector, an adjudicator, you've been an agent. What is one area of concern that transcended all three positions? And I said, imposters. We don't know who we're dealing with. We, believe it or not, used to arrest somebody, fingerprint them, and I'm not kidding, you're not going to believe me, mail the fingerprints to Washington, to the FBI. Mail them, Pony Express. So the alien's fingerprints get sent to Washington. Three weeks later, we deport the alien. Two months later, I get a letter from the FBI saying, where is this guy? He's killed five people. I don't know. We deported him two months ago. And I said, this should be done electronically, the way police departments around the country routinely do it. Well, we are doing it now, folks. But that was the fledgling beginning of biometrics and immigration law enforcement. I was proud to have had a voice in its inception. So we have this problem where we still are not tracking the arrival and departure of aliens. A company by the name of Accenture, which was the spinoff of the ill-reputed um, Arthur Anderson accounting firm from Enron Notoriety, Accenture got a contract, I believe it was for a total of 10 billion, with a B, $10 billion, to create an entry and exit system known as U.S. Visit. Years later, they still couldn't accomplish it. Accenture at the time was offshore. They were headquartered in Hamilton, Bermuda. Then they moved to Ireland. Uh, I, I got a, 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 sort of a semi-nasty email from one of their executives saying, we're not an offshore company. The, the, the parent company is here in the United States. They said, yes, but Accenture itself that's running these programs is overseas. Would you disagree? And, of course, he didn't disagree. Interesting argument. But whether they're offshore or not isn't the point. What is the point is decades later we still have not yet completed the tracking system. But make a purchase from Amazon. Make a purchase from any company, from eBay, and they'll tell you in exquisite detail, the truck is five blocks from your house. They'll be delivering it within three minutes and ten seconds. We could figure out how to do that. 
but we can't figure out how to track aliens who enter the United States. Now, part of the reason, and I told this to the reporter, is something known as the Visa Waiver Program, which should have ended the day after 9-11. On 9-11, we had 26 countries whose citizens did not need visas uh, to come to the United States for 90-day visits. Of course, it doesn't matter if it's 90 days or nine years, because lots of people don't leave. In fact, last week, they released a statistic that at least 700,000 aliens who were admitted last year did not leave when they were supposed to. So the amount of time doesn't matter. Once they're in, they're in, if we don't do anything about enforcing the law. And we don't have the resources. We have 6,000 ICE agents, a dysfunctional tracking system, and you have a visa waiver program that keeps expanding. And so here's the nexus with the visa waiver program. In order to qualify for participation in the visa waiver program, the countries involved have to have certain prerequisites. They're supposed to use machine-readable passports, and they're supposed to notify us when their passports are stolen, and there have been a number of GAO reports showing that many of them aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then we get to two other points, and there, there's, there's others also. I'm just giving you an overview, but this is where the rubber meets the road. The visa refusal rate can't be more than, I believe, 3%. Well, that's easy. All they do is tell the people who issue the visas, the consular officials who work at the U.S. embassies and consulates, unless it's a really, really, really bad case, give the person the visa. And if they want to keep their jobs, they will. That takes care of the visa refusal rate. What they can't tamper with is overstay rates, which is also, I believe, supposed to be no more than 3%. Well, how do you know if aliens overstay the amount of time they would give them to stay in the United States? Well, that's where U.S. visit comes in. They've actually terminated it. They've given it a new name. I, I forget what the name is. Another company's involved. The government's involved. They still can't do it. Why? Because if you're not tracking the arrival and departure of the aliens, you're unable to determine what the overstate rate is. Because I truly believe that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and if you go to the website called Discover America, you will see where the Chamber of Commerce has partnered with the hotel, hospitality, travel, and manufacturing associations to push for what? Easing up requirements to allow aliens to enter the United States. This flies in the face of what the 9-11 Commission warned us about. It flies in the face of common sense. We have no idea who's here, and we're unable to track people. But nevertheless, uh, even though the 9-11 Commission warned us that the visa process lacked sufficient integrity, we've gone from 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11, and today we have 38 countries that participate in the program. But I'll tell you about this new sheriff in town known as Donald Trump. George W. Bush increased the number of visa waiver countries, as did Barack Obama. Guess who has not increased the number of visa waiver countries, Donald Trump. How do you think that makes the Discover America partnership feel? Well, I'm sure they're quite angry because their goal was to remove all visa requirements if possible. Go to the website, the Discover America partnership. They rant and rave and rail and scream and yell about how terrible the American government is for making it difficult for folks to come to America and spend their money. I kid you not. 90-year-old women in wheelchairs 
are being strip searched when they try to get on an airplane for their last Christmas with their grandchildren or their great grandchildren. But the U.S. Chamber of Commerce wants America to admit anybody who can walk, crawl, or fly. The fantasy for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and all their cohorts is a borderless United States of America. That's what NAFTA was about. That's what NAFTA was about. Take down the borders. Let's move people and goods freely across international borders so we can import cheaper labor and destroy the wage structure of middle-class Americans. Now, in the old days, the Republicans might have favored it because I've always associated the Republicans with companies and business owners and so forth. But the Democrats used to balance it out and say, whoa, you're destroying jobs for Americans. Guess what? The Republicans aren't nearly as bad on this issue as are the Democrats. And that's why you have Cuomo and you have the Mayor de Blasio in New York City and you have this crazy woman, I can't think of her name, Ocasio, who's going to probably be the member of Congress from Queens, New York. Uh, You have Nancy Pelosi ranting and raving, oh, my God, they're arresting these poor immigrants. See, and here's where the language comes in again, and the news media never contradicts this. Pelosi issued a statement, and I wrote about it for an earlier article that I did a week ago. Go to Front Page Magazine. I hope it's thought-provoking. And she went nuts and said that the ICE agents were carrying out Trump's racist orders to terrify families, immigrant families, and rip children from the arms of their mothers while these immigrants, quote-unquote, are the most patriotic and law-abiding people in the world. How in the world are you patriotic when we don't even know who you are and your presence in the United States represents a violation of some of our most fundamental laws? How are you law-abiding if you're here illegally if you ran our borders, came under false pretenses, and perhaps committed identity theft so you could get fake ID to work illegally in the United States or conceal your terrorist or criminal activities in our country. But there's Pelosi ranting and raving, calling the agents out and saying that they have staged cowardly attacks on law-abiding patriotic immigrants when she was really talking about lawful raids wherein illegal aliens were taken into custody, you see. And we have the same thing from Cuomo, threatening to seek to prosecute ICE agents for making arrests. Why? And now he's running for re-election, and I'm sure he's going to be re-elected because there is no choice. We don't even know who in the world the the, the Republican is. I saw him on TV on, on Fox and Friends a couple of days ago. And he seems like a nice enough guy, nothing really much about his background, other than he came from a modest family where his mother, I think he said, was on food stamps. Uh, I'm still not sure what his qualifications are to be governor. And to be honest with you, I tried to call him up because I went to the website and I said, no, I'll give the guy a phone call. He has a non-working phone number. This is the guy that the Republicans are running against Governor Cuomo. Why are they bothering They put up people who are nothing more than placekeepers. I tried to call the guy's phone, and it came back. This number has been disconnected. This is the guy that wants to replace Andrew Cuomo. Are you serious? What are we doing? What are we doing? We are never being given good alternatives, or rarely are we given good alternatives. So when Trump said that the system is rigged, he wasn't whistling Dixie. The system is rigged. 
when you can't even give the candidate for governor a working telephone, believe me, folks, the system is rigged. I wouldn't doubt the Republicans want Cuomo to win. I, I don't know what, what other conclusion I can come to. This is pathetic. This is pathetic. And so what's the outcome? Heads, they win. Tails, we lose. We keep on losing. The only time we stopped losing was when Trump was elected. And he is being attacked by everybody and his brother from both sides of the aisle because he's freaking them out. He believes in sovereign borders. He believes in protecting American lives and American jobs for Americans. How dare he? How dare he? So if you wonder why all these attacks are ongoing, understand that it's coming at him from both sides of the aisle. And what I worry about is the midterm election. What I worry about is what happens in in, in two more years when the new presidential election takes place. And I certainly worry about what happens even if Trump is reelected four years after that. I hope that history will not simply see these years of Trump in the White House as a speed bump on the way to anarchy because that's the direction we're headed. You have people in both parties who don't care about sovereignty, don't care about the loss of human life, don't care about the fact that you have American minority children living in squalor and poverty with no hope for the future, where gangs are flooding into this country and we have 6,000 ICE agents for the whole country. President Trump has been trying to hire agents since he came on board. He just hired some judges, which is a good thing. But goodness gracious, we have over a million members of the armed forces, a million. And as I've said, when you think about immigration, think of it as being an adjunct to the military, dealing with America's enemies, keeping them as far from our shores as possible, but when they get here, identifying them and removing them. And when we hear this nonsense, well, these people have no criminal history. The 9-11 hijackers didn't have criminal histories. They didn't, you see. That's the point. That's how sleepers operate, sleeper agents. Keep a low profile. Don't engage in arguments. Don't spit on the sidewalk. Don't jaywalk. Be a model member of the community. When people walk by you, smile at them, wave, pet their little puppy. That's okay. You'll kill them next week. You'll get even with them. But for now, look nice. Smile. And we always hear it. Did you know who this guy was? Yes. I can't believe he's involved with terrorism, just like we used to hear. I can't believe he's a Nazi war criminal. He used to smile at me, and his rose bushes were so neatly trimmed. This is how idiotic we as Americans are. The guy smiled at us, and he trims his rose bushes, so he's okay. Are we that stupid? Are we really that stupid? When people say, well, the guy had no criminal history, we don't understand why they arrested him. If you violate immigration law, you need to be arrested. Our borders, folks, our borders, all 50 of them, our immigration laws, are America's first and last line of defense. That's the issue. So we hear this garbage. They arrested this guy, and he had no criminal history. And I could tell you that I found people working illegally in factories who had outstanding warrants. In one case, a guy had escaped from a federal penitentiary. This individual was from Honduras. He had committed a murder, apparently. He pleaded guilty to manslaughter, pleaded guilty. Um, Probably he killed somebody in cold blood. He did time. He was deported when he got out of jail. I think he did something on the order of 10 or 12 years, was deported, came back, was found, was prosecuted, 
He was doing time in a federal penitentiary. He escaped from the federal penitentiary, and he was working in a glass factory in Brooklyn. And when I told the owner that this guy was suspicious, I was going to take him downtown for questioning, he said, oh, I trust this guy with my life. In fact, he has the keys to the factory. When I'm late, he opens for me and he closes at night. He has the combination to my safe. And he's had dinner with me, my wife, and my three kids. When we found out who this guy was, this guy hyperventilated. I thought we were going to have to call an ambulance for him. What does a bad guy look like? We are naive, and we're being led by crooks and wacky people. This isn't a good set of circumstances. We, as Americans, owe it to ourselves, owe it to this country. We certainly owe it to our children and their children that we stand up and bring the madness to an end, make the politicians accountable. You know, I've always used analogies, and I've always said that when we go to restaurants, we're extremely specific about the food that we want to eat and the way that we want it prepared. Folks, we need to be no less specific or demanding in letting the people who are paid to represent us to know what it is we expect of them so they can truly represent us. In all fairness to them, much as I have no use for politicians, if we don't place our order, how in the world do they know what's expected? We have to get serious. We're living in a dangerous era with a lot of crazy, crooked politicians running loose. We need to stand up to the, their bullying tactics. We have to have the guts to confront people peacefully, peacefully. I, I'm going to underscore that a million times, but that's what the First Amendment is about, peaceable assemblage. Why? So that we can have a representative democracy. You cannot have a representative democracy if you don't have educated and enlightened citizens. That's why education is so important. That's why honesty in the media is so important. Uh, as, as a parting thought, the hour is wrapping up, and it goes a lot quicker uh, than, than I could imagine sometimes. When I was a brand-new agent, they handed me my investigator's handbook, and within the first paragraph, they described my job as an investigator, as a fact finder. And that's very much the case for journalists as well. And with a degree in communications, I had played with the idea of becoming a journalist, when the opportunity to become a federal agent appeared on the horizon, so I went for that. But journalists are supposed to be fact-finders also. But when an agent stands in court and testifies or swears out a warrant, we're under oath. There are repercussions for being dishonest. The journalists face no repercussions for being dishonest. They literally get away with murder. And we need to let them know that we're on to the propaganda, the nonsense that they're foisting on us because it would appear that they work for the Ministry of Truth. And having mentioned the Ministry of Truth, two homework assignments. Please go to frontpagemag.com and read my articles. Please get a hold of 1984, read it, and pass it along, and make certain that everybody gets to understand how we are experiencing thought control through language control. Please get involved, folks. You know democracy is not. I thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. It was a hope for you. I hope that for you it was a good hour as it was for me. Uh, please get involved. Have a great weekend. And I look forward to seeing you again right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. And by the way, if you like the program, you like the articles, share the information with your friends and neighbors. Be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. So long.